All right, uh, Charlie, would you please lead us in prayer? Heavenly Father, we are grateful that we are able to get together online today and that you make provisions for this. Thank you for the technology, and we pray that it would work well for this next hour while we're together. And, of course, the situations that we have here in this country, um, when we turn on the news, some of these pictures, uh, we are horrified and we cannot believe uh, the things that we see. We pray for the president and for leadership around this country that they might choose to do righteous things and know how to react in these situations, Lord. Uh, and we just ask that your grace would be upon us. And of course, we always look forward to that moment uh, when that trumpet sounds and you call us home. We thank you uh, for that time uh, that we have to be here together today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Charlie, so much. Well, again, here we are in uh, nearing nearing the end. It'll only be a few more uh, studies, and we'll finish up uh, Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians. I hope it's been this way for you as it has been for me, but this time through these letters has been such a special blessing for me, and uh, I am really so moved by what Paul has written there. It, it just seems also to be so relevant to our circumstances today. And I'm sure you found it the same way. I mean, Paul's writing his uh, early letters to the Thessalonian believers very early. Uh, we're not exactly sure of the date, probably around 51 A.D., so around 20 years after the crucifixion and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus, he's writing these letters. <clears throat> and the circumstances were very difficult for the people. They had come under persecution. It was increasing. And this, the, the expectation was that it would only get worse. Well, it did, I'm sure, although we don't have much history about that. But we know that down through the centuries since then until now, lawlessness has been reigning in the world in a, a way that was prophesied by Paul in this letter. And so uh, we see it today. We see it uh, manifested wherever we turn. The mystery of lawlessness, Paul calls it, or, or the... Uh, sacred secret regarding lawlessness, what Satan is doing today to conflict with and interfere with the working of our Lord God and uh, his grace. So that's where we find ourselves today. The verses we want to look at specifically are in chapter 2 of Second Thessalonians, verses 13 through 17. Let me give out the reading assignments. I forgot to do that, so let me give out the reading assignments. I think we'll start out with Lisa. Lisa reading 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Lisa. Then Gail, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 11 and 12. Gail, Linda, Linda, 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 13 and 14. 
verses 13 and 14 in chapter 2. Sarah, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15. Chapter 2, verse 15. And Lydia, 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 16 and 17. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 16 and 17. Now, those would be the readings for today. Our outline is all about our glorious salvation. <clears throat> our glorious salvation. First of all, the promise. And that's it. <laughs> it's a negative sort of thing, but it's a wonderful thing indeed in the positive sense. And that's that the judgment is theirs and not ours. <laughs> the judgment is theirs and not ours. It's all a matter of grace. That's the promise. Then our glorious salvation, its background. <laughs> and that's very simple. Chosen from the beginning. <laughs> we have been chosen from the beginning. Thirdly, our glorious salvation our response, our response, and that's standing fast with the traditions, standing fast with the traditions. And finally, regarding our glorious salvation, it's confidence, good hope through grace. I love the way he worded that, good hope through grace. Paul makes an apostolic prayer and writes it there in the letter, a prayer concerning them, and it applies to all of us that we would have good hope through grace as we wait for the glorious fulfillment of many, many promises. So those are the four aspects we want to look at today as those verses reveal these precious truths. Okay, first of all, by way of introduction, let's just say this. Um, you've noticed here as we've gone through the Thessalonian letters, it's true both in the first letter and in the second, that Paul is teaching by way of contrasts. And it is in the contrasts that are so much in detail in detail, that's no word for there for that, but so much revealed in detail there in those contrasts that the power of those contrasts is brought home to our hearts. The contrasts are so important. And so on the one hand, he talks about those and them, meaning the others, those who uh, would not, would not receive and did not receive the truth of the gospel. Uh, rebelled against it, even persecuting those that had received it greatly. That's on the one side. And then on the other side, the blessings that are uh, promised for those that have believed on our Lord Jesus Christ according to the riches of his grace. And of course, the uh, fulfillment of that short term is uh, the rapture. Right? We'll be caught up to be with him. So really, these letters are all about the rapture. They're the only letters that Paul has written that are focused so carefully and extensively on the pre-tribulation rapture of the body of Christ. 
after that point, of course, the tribulation period begins and God changes the focus altogether uh, concerning what he is doing here on this earth. And so let's see, the contrasts are there. And on the one side, the rebellion of unbelievers, that's uh, what we just looked at recently. And I'd, I'd like um, to read that in, in, in a little bit. I'll ask uh, Gail to read the same verses again, but um, just so we have the context here, verse 11, chapter 2, for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So that's the contrast on the side of judgment. The judgment will be upon them. And then on the side of believers, verses 16 and 17, now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us an everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. And we'll be reading that a little later, too. Lydia will read it for us. So for, there's such great contrasts here. They deserve our very careful attention. And I think this is a, our third session or fourth in looking at these contrasts. So for all of you who have been with us regularly, uh, these verses should be inscribed upon your hearts. And I hope they are. There's much doctrine here to establish our hearts. So first of all, our glorious salvation, it's promise. The judgment is theirs, not ours. And uh, Paul does speak it, speak of it rather negatively, and then the great positives follow afterwards. And that's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, we'll look at that a little bit again in a moment. We've already considered it carefully uh, when the time comes. Uh, the church will be withdrawn from this world. We are currently holding back the full manifestation of Satan's rebellion. His lies, his deceptions are here with us in the world today. But the church is the major force holding him back. That's in Second Thessalonians 2 verses 6 and following. It says the mystery of iniquity is already at work until the one withholding is taken out of the way. That's verse 7. And then after the one withholding, that's the church, after we're taken out of the way, then the wicked or the lawless one will be revealed fully. And that's what happens in the tribulation period. But he will be judged. He says, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Okay, so then he goes on to mention the kind of work that Satan does with signs, miracles, and what he calls here in verse 9, lying wonders. They're so deceptive. They're so able to capture the hearts of those who are unaware. And that's what's happening already today. 
And then finally, he mentions these verses uh, about no second chance for those that have rejected the truth of the gospel in our current day. Uh, if they find themselves in the tribulation period, because they were alive at the rapture, they'll then find themselves captured by uh, blindness that they cannot resist. So that's uh, what we find in that section. It's a critical teaching, and I'd like us to, uh, before we proceed with it, stop to think about what this all means. I mean, there are many things happening in the world today. These are, in some ways, Paul says, precursors of what's going to happen in the tribulation period. But there's a limitation on what Satan can do. But you know how powerful he is uh, demonstrating his uh, lies even today, right? I mean, so many are captured. Whole groups, whole movements are captured by the lies of Satan. He has direct control over countless individuals who have risen to leadership, right? They speak words that are not really theirs, they're his. The lies of Satan, and they are deluding uh, so many, capturing their hearts, uh, causing them to focus on things that are evil, calling evil good and good evil as was spoken by the Apostle Paul. So uh, that's what we find in the world today. And we shouldn't be surprised that there would be signs, wonders, and miracles attached to these lies, and we see that happening as well. Many claim to have had these miraculous experiences. Uh, they talk about the Lord speaking to them uh, continuously. In, in real words, telling them what to do, what not to do, and all of this. It's common uh, speech today in Bible studies for people to speak like this. Many of them are totally deceived as to who it is who's speaking with them, if, if in fact anyone is, right? And the experiences, some I think are real because I think Satan is working miracles today. We know that's true. Scripture tells us so. Uh, Many things are based upon just uh, failures in the human psychology. Uh, you know, imaginations are abounding. In fact, one of the words that's uh, the mark of our times is this word, imagine. You might uh, be able, if you've been studying scripture, to connect that with what's written here in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Okay. Let's, uh, let's go ahead. If you uh, want to study more carefully, uh, look at the notes, which I'll put up there on Liberty Messenger shortly. Okay, let's start the reading, though, today with what Paul wrote to Timothy in his first letter. And I'd like uh, Lisa to read that for us. It speaks of the times in which we're living. First uh, Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Lisa? Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith giving heed to, to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils speaking lies in hypocrisy having their conscience seared with a hot iron thank you lisa 
So the lies of the enemy will be even so great, says here, that some will depart from the faith. Hmm. In other words, they were orthodox, but become heterodox. They become speakers of false doctrine. Okay? And certainly that is the case. Some of those who are considered leaders in the evangelical church today, the Protestant church, so-called, um, were once speaking the truth, and now they're not, right? That doesn't mean they've lost their salvation. We know that isn't a possibility. But uh, they're certainly speaking uh, as unbelievers, and increasingly so. And I think uh, it's one of the marks of this dispensation, but he even says in the latter times, uh, some will uh, apparently, even to a greater degree, be doing that very thing. And he says, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines. The doctrines are doctrines of demons. And I think that implies pretty strongly they're coming from demons. So demons have influence upon this earth today, and greatly so. Uh, it says they will speak lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot Iron. In fact, those that come to, uh, into this kind of uh, error will often turn to immorality as well and promote it as good, right? And we, we see that uh, with uh, some of the sins uh, being promoted as uh, really quite uh, acceptable uh, ways of life today. And uh, many things are quote, being normalized, end quote. Of course, you can't normalize sin, really. Even if everyone were a liar, God would still be true, right? As the apostle writes in another place. Okay, so these contrasts between those that are walking in the truth and speaking truth uh, are so great uh, compared to those who are living in the realm of satanic deception. Okay, uh, so that's that. Um, a beginning point here today that that uh, we are with a great promise. And our judgments past it was at the cross, right? Uh, but that's not true for those who have refused to believe the precious gospel of grace. Their judgment is yet ahead. And any who miss the rapture will be caught up in the tribulation period and receive a very, very special kind of blindness. Okay, that's uh, what we see there. Now let's pr proceed uh, to look at that more specifically. <laughs> he says uh, something that I think should be a, a part of the foundation we always stand upon, and that's just to know that our salvation is so secure in the mind of God, Almighty God, that it was even determined at the beginning. He says that here in Second Thessalonians. So we'll get to that now in a moment. Um, we were chosen from the beginning even. Okay, 
Well, Gail, would you please read about that for us? Uh, and it's put right in the context of those that will be blinded in the tribulation period to show the great, great contrast between the two groups, the unbelievers and the believers. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Gail? And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but have pleasure in unrighteousness. Okay, thank you. And, uh, and then we go ahead to get the rest of the picture here. Linda, would you please read for us the next two verses, chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by the gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> the contrast is so great, doesn't it? Just kind of... It's like hitting you so hard you fall to the ground worshiping him, praising his name, thanking him now and hopefully forever, right? Uh, uh, but successive verses here, uh, you know, the first about they and them, <laughs> the ones who rejected the truth, and the second uh, about us, we and us, oh my. We are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord. Ah, to be beloved of the Lord. Uh, true of us all, all of us who have believed and taken Christ by faith as our Savior from sin and uh, death, right? Uh, beloved of the Lord. And then he says, God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. He doesn't mean back a year ago, some may have only been saved a year ago who are within the hearing of our voice or a decade ago or 50 years ago, however many years it may have been for you, right? Um, he's not talking about that. That's, yeah, that was when you came to know the Lord. But he's saying here, God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. And we know that Paul wrote about that in other ways, using other words. We've considered that well here in our Sunday morning meetings, right? Even from before the foundation of the world, <laughs> God's plan was worked out. But then it had to come to pass in time for us to be saved. And that's what the next uh, words are all about. He says, through, so he says, chosen you to salvation from the beginning, through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth here we see the history and progress of our salvation highlighted the history and progress of it meaning in history in time in real time in our time in our personal time god works sovereignly in each of us to separate us. That's what the word sanctify means. It means to separate. Okay. Uh, we were sanctified by the spirit. We were separated off. And you can remember back uh, before 
you were saved, right? Before you had believed the gospel, you may never have even heard it before, but you can look back from where you stand now and see how God had intersected with your life. No doubt countless times, but we can at least remember some of them, right? And that's what this is all about, through the sanctification of the Spirit and then the belief of the truth that came at a point of time. It's another false teaching that's so common today is that there's no such thing as a point of time when one is saved. It's a long process. Well, if it's a long process, then I don't think anybody ever reaches the point of salvation. Okay? It's not. The salvation occurred when you believed the gospel, as he points out here. Then there's a progress uh, right from then on of God continuing to work in setting us aside for himself. And he will ultimately complete uh, the whole process. And what is that all about? He says in the next words, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, that's the end point. The glorification will occur. We're already experiencing it, but it will be perfected. It will be completed someday. Oh, what a day that will be, right? We'll hear that voice, that call, that shout, and be caught up into heaven's glory. You see, this letter and the others about the rapture, in one way or another, Paul isn't ever uh, going to deviate from that, but to give us additional dimensions on that precious truth. But notice he mentions the instrument God used and uses today, and that's the gospel, the good news, whereunto he called you by our gospel. That's how one is saved. One hears or reads in some way. The good news of grace is communicated. doesn't have to be through another person, but I think it often is, but not always. It can be read. The word of God exists. It's, it used to be uh, in a in a drawer by the side of the bed in every hotel or inn you ever stayed in, right? The Gideons did a very good job of that. Now, unfortunately, we find other books there, too, that were only destined uh, a sinner to hellfire and damnation, right? But he says, whereunto he called you by our gospel. Praise the Lord for that. Okay. Uh, now it says to the obtaining. So this is the goal, the end point to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Glory. Uh, what a subject that is, right? We've already looked at it to some degree in the past. Even recently, we were reading out of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. I'll read those words now again for you. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Okay. So it seems there's a very special 
hatred that Satan has for all of us and for even the, the thought that some might be drawn to the Lord God into fellowship with the Lord God, that a sinner could be drawn to God by the preaching of the gospel of grace. It's, this just in, it incites riot in the heart of Satan to even consider it, right? It's his greatest anathema, it seemed, that grace can somehow be poured out freely on sinners. After all, I mean, if we want to contemplate why this might be, why might Satan so it be so incredibly opposed to that, that he wouldn't even have delivered uh, the Lord over to death if he'd considered it properly, right? Um, well, it's maybe very simple. It was a single act of rebellion that took Satan out of his position in heaven's glory, right? A single act of rebellion. In fact, it might even been just the thought of it, just the consideration of it. Seems to me it was just that at the beginning. And the Lord God, of course, was able to read his heart. He was created perfect. Doesn't mean infinite, although his power and glory was greater than anything else God had created. But um, a single thought of rebellion uh, against the sovereign uh, position of the Lord God as creator. That's all it took. And Satan was cast out of his position of perfect blessing and fellowship with the Lord God. Cast out due to one single act, whether only in the mind or in in trying to ascend above God, I'm not sure. He did that certainly too. But uh, that is how Satan sees things. Sin will be judged. Satan knows this, right? He was the first to begin to experience uh, the consequence of that rebellion. So how can there be grace? I mean, this is so contrary to anything in Satan's mind. It's just a confusion. It's a conundrum. No wonder he opposes grace and its pure uh, preaching. And no wonder. So what a dramatic contrast indeed we see in those verses. Now let's go ahead uh, to see what our response ought to be. Paul uh, speaks very directly to the Thessalonians in a practical way at this point in this letter, and it's in verse number 15 of Second Thessalonians 2. Sarah, Sarah, would you please read that for us? Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or by our epistle. Thank you, Sarah. Traditions. Now, you might think that's a bad translation, because why would Paul be uh, holding traditions high? I mean, we've been taught, even if you've been taught well, <laughs> you've been taught that traditions are the work of men and women and those that have established them, and they're not necessarily even to be honored. In fact, we're living in a day today where we see traditions despised. Uh, and the marks of our history are being destroyed. And that's, of course, something Satan would love to do. 
Uh, he, in fact, would like to see the greatest uh, representation of uh, the work of God in mankind destroyed. That is the word of God itself. That is the Bible, right? But Satan has been prevented from destroying it, but he hasn't been prevented from uh, confusing uh those that read by giving them translations and paraphrases that are very, very dangerous indeed, right? But here, Paul uses the word traditions very positively. But just so you see how it's usually used in a negative sense, even in the scripture, in Matthew chapter 15, verses 2 and 3, I'll read from that. Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he, our Lord Jesus, answered and said unto them, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? Okay. So the Pharisees, Sadducees, the elders, they had created traditions, religious traditions, which contradicted the commandments of God. Okay, so their traditions were not holy, they were evil. Okay, and uh, this is mentioned in a number of places. Paul even writes about traditions, uh, in his case, uh, that he had himself bought into, right, the traditions of the Pharisees. But he writes positively about traditions as well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, he says, Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. Same Greek word there translated traditions elsewhere. Here translated ordinances. Keep the ordinances. Remember me. Keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. Okay? Well, the ordinances, the traditions that Paul had delivered, they're to be honored, valued, and uh, they're to be the guide, guiding uh, principles of our lives as believers today, right? And uh, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, we'll get to that Next time, Lord willing, Paul writes, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. Okay? Again, Paul's example is important. And he's laying down principles of living. In this case, it's that uh, the able-bodied are to contribute to their own support. Okay, they're not supposed to be subservient to others if they have a choice in the matter. If they're able-bodied and able to uh, provide for themselves, they are surely supposed to do that. And Paul makes that very, very clear there. And he says, we've laid down that tradition ourselves. In fact, in his case, he continued working as a tent maker, even when he could have expected um, 
the assemblies to support his ministries, right? Uh, he continued working uh, with his own hands. So he was an example for the believers and had laid down certain traditions for them. So in our verse here that uh, Sarah just read, right? Um, he said there, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you've been taught, whether by word or by our epistle, okay? By word, meaning directly from his mouth when he was there speaking, right? Or according to his epistles, uh, which we're reading and they were reading of right here. Okay, so traditions are very important. We must not throw them out without very uh, serious consideration. Uh, we must, in fact, stand on the shoulders of those that have gone before. Now, none of them were perfect, um, humanly speaking, but at least uh, the apostles, and here the apostle Paul, apostle of the Gentiles, uh, writes words that are inspired and preserved by the Holy Spirit himself, right? So very, very important to uphold those traditions. Now the final point here, good hope through grace. We have great confidence, great confidence in the Lord, and that's how Paul wants to end this section. And uh, I'd like Lydia to read those verses for us. Lydia, if you can read for us, please, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Now our Lord Jesus himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath, hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Thank you, Lydia. Oh, wow. There's a lot there, just in a few words. What a nice way for Paul to end this, this section. <clears throat> uh, it's a prayer, you see. It's the desire of his heart, but it's spoken prayerfully. Now, our Lord Jesus Christ himself. In other words, now, may, Lord, may you uh, provide what's so needed for every believer to live with. And that is a hope. He calls it a good hope. He calls it everlasting consolation. And he mentions that it's based on his perfect love, right? As what? Father, okay? He is our heavenly father. He loves our, his dear children with a perfect love, right? And so he wants all the best for them. And so it says, he hath given us. Notice it's past tense. It's not that, oh, he may give this to you maybe if you're uh, sufficiently uh, devoted to him. Uh, no, that's not what he says. He says, he hath given us everlasting consolation. That's comfort, encouragement, right? And good hope. <laughs> it's kind of a repetition. Hope, how can this hope not be good, right? Uh, and good is always based on a hope, at least spiritually speaking, right? And then he says, through grace. So he's always underscoring 
this gracious principle here in these letters that he writes to the church, which is his body, right? He says, comfort your hearts. Now, this is an exhortation here. Based upon that everlasting consolation and good hope, based upon the perfect love of God our Father, he says, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work. Okay? Well, are we comforting our hearts? Uh, the word for comfort, I mean, you remember uh, the Lord spoke of the comforter in John's gospel. It's recorded in chapters 16, also 15 and 14, right? Uh, speak of the comforter. Uh, the Holy Spirit, he said, will be your comforter. And that's because the Holy Spirit is called alongside. The word for comfort means to call up close, to call near, okay? And to come close in perfect fellowship, okay? The comforter comes close. In fact, he dwells within us in our hearts, right? He's not separate. He's so close that he couldn't get any closer, right? And he is there to provide everything that we're in need of, right? If only we will receive it, right? The abundance of grace is the key. He says good hope through grace. So our hope is latched and secured to the promises of God given to us, right? And God will fulfill them. So our hope is based on that, and faith is the enabler, right? But will we receive by faith what he reveals about his grace and his fullness being poured out today? Will we receive that, or will we rather choose to dwell in a separate little zone uh, where we are focused on our own works and our own fears and our own concerns and our own whatever, right? Instead of on the amazing and wonderful and life-transforming uh, hope through grace that's been provided, right? Uh, we will be established, built up, edified in every good and work if we do rest in him and all that he is providing. So Paul's teaching here in this letter is as I've said before, it's so appropriate for our current time. We're easily led astray into anxieties and concerns for the future or the present. You know, we look around us and see what had been relatively uh, stable becoming unstable, what had been, according to our desires, now not so much right? Um, plans have been set aside, necessarily modified because of the current circumstances we, we face, right? Um, and so there are concerns, but we must be very careful not to forget that our Lord God is still in control. He is sovereign. And the next thing on our horizon spiritually is anybody remember it is the voice the call the shout 
listening for the shout and loving his appearing. As a friend of ours often says in the early morning ham radio Bible study, right? So our future with our blessed Lord is assured and maybe very, very near. Amen and amen. Well, praise the Lord. I hope some of you would like to comment before we go to the Lord in prayer. Would anyone like to share what's on your heart? Or are you overwhelmed by the infinite glories of God's wonderful grace? And no words are coming forth. <laughs> That's perfectly acceptable to me. That's where I am. I don't have many words either at this point. Father God, thank you for gathering us. We do have words of thanksgiving and praise for you, and we always will. Thank you for blessing us again with your precious word of truth. And it is compelling. It is powerful. It is transforming. May we receive it with gladness and joy and its abundance, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. May it be with us and all in this day. And Father, we would thank you in Christ's precious and holy name. And and amen. Amen. Praise the Lord for his glorious, glorious grace.